There was no evidence that governor, that, that uh, Mr. Noriega was involved in drugs, no hard evidence until we indicted him. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system. Oh, we don't mess around other people's well, elections, too. episode of Rackets Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sadie. This podcast covers a lot of topics, organized crime, drug cartels, but it also uh, covers the white-collar racketeers, such as corporate criminals, crony capitalists, corrupt government officials, etc. Um, and with that said, I've got really the perfect guest on the show here today. His name's Philip Matera. He's from um, a nonprofit group called Good Jobs First. And he has a, a few titles there. He's the research director and the director of corporate research project. Um, he's also the author of an excellent blog called the Dirt Diggers Digest, which focuses on corporate crime. Um, so welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks. If you would, um, do you mind telling um, the listeners a little bit about your organization? Yeah, well, the, the the way I like to identify myself is in connection with the Corporate Research Project, which is a an effort to well to do a couple of things. Originally, it was designed to do research on specific corporations for various uh, labor unions, environmental groups, and other kinds of progressive campaigns. And the idea was to provide strategic research, you know, that is information that could be used as leverage in in various efforts to, you know, get corporations to do the right thing or at least to stop doing the wrong thing. And um, we still we still do some of that, um, but increasingly, in 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 recent years, the emphasis has been on providing tools that allow um, activists and um, and researchers kind of to do their own research on corporations and to provide resources that are kind of shortcuts and that help people find the best, kind of the juiciest information uh, most easily. And so among those tools are First, a pretty extensive guide to doing corporate research that we have on the the Corporate Research Project website, and that website, by the way, is corp-research.org, and there's a, um, a guide there with hundreds and hundreds of different sources of information and, and an explanation of how to go about you know, researching a company, particularly if it's a company you haven't dealt with before and you're starting from scratch. And the focus is on doing it um, efficiently and, the, and not you know, doing things like Google searches, which are going to you know, give you a lot of kind of crap that you know, the, um, you know, kind of directs you to the, um, the best sources that um, give you the kind of information that um, can be put to best use in, in campaigns. 
The second um, set of tools are what I call uh, corporate rap sheets. <laughs> and the, these are extensive kind of narrative profiles of kind of the biggest and baddest uh, corporations around. So, you know, the big pharmaceuticals, you know, the big oil companies, the big banks, et cetera. And, it, and basically it's a, a rundown of their track record, you know, emphasizing their um, corrupt activities of one, of one kind or another. And the aim is to um, you know, include as many links as possible back to original source material so that you can you know, see where the, you know, the narrative account came from. The third and most ambitious tool um, that, that we've developed is Violation Tracker. And so whereas the, the rap sheets are kind of narrative accounts, the uh, the covering you know, about seventy five companies, the violation tracker is meant to be a more comprehensive uh, set of information in more of succinct uh, kind of database form, and the the aim is to eventually contain information about you know, just about every conceivable type of corporate crime and misconduct, and so far the the initial emphasis was on federal regulatory agencies and uh, Justice Department cases. So what you know what we've done is collected data from all these agencies on various cases involved. You know now we have data from more than forty uh, agencies and all the divisions of the Justice Department. And these are, you know, come from various types of data. So a lot of them are from, you know, big regulatory agencies like the EPA and OSHA. And those agencies make available, you know, a big data set of cases in, uh, involving penalties against, against companies. In other cases, um, companies put out reports, annual reports about their enforcement activities, and we've kind of um, scooped up that information. For other agencies, you know, we've had to just use press releases where the, um, you know, because they don't put out anything uh, in a um, you know, more comprehensive form, but the press releases are, you know, are, are a pretty good uh, source for the information. So the, the idea is to is to um, put together um, primary source documents um, showing a wide range of, of, of corporate misconduct. So, for example, it's you know, so it's got uh, environmental violations, occupational safety violations, it's got wage and hour violations, it's got um, discrimination cases, it's got price fixing uh, cases. It's got um, all all sorts of things, foreign corrupt practices, that is foreign bribery cases, um, and the. So what we've done is brought together the the basic information about all those cases, including key pieces of information like the dollar amount of the penalty paid. And um, you know, put it in searchable form 
in this in this database, um, and then to kind of add some additional information. So, for example, we have our own um, kind of tagging uh, system for you know categorizing these cases, and then we also um, link the companies mentioned in the individual cases to their ultimate corporate parents. Because usually when these cases are announced, the agency or the Justice Department doesn't necessarily tell you that this company is a subsidiary of some larger entity. Exactly. And often it's not obvious from the name. And one of the prime examples is Berkshire Hathaway, you know, which has you know, Warren Buffett has this benign image, but he's actually, um, you know, he controls dozens and dozens of companies with different names, and a lot of them have racked up a lot of penalties of various kinds. Um, yeah, I mean, Burlington Northern, you know, this is railroad um, by itself, you know, has hundreds and hundreds of safety violations from the Federal Railroad Administration. And I mean, I think he's a he's a major shareholder in Wells Fargo, if I'm remembering. Oh yeah, right. yeah, and that's that's in your top ten uh, violators right there. Yeah. So so that so what we do is you know link the individual entries to their ultimate parent, and that's cases in which the you know the ultimate parent has a majority ownership stake in the in the entity. And then we aggregate those penalties so that you can see kind of the grand totals of the penalties. And as you mentioned, we have a list of the largest um, companies with with the most uh, in aggregate uh, penalties. And these are the you know these are the companies that you know have been involved in the major scandals. A lot of them are banks, uh, but also um, BP, of course, and Volkswagen, right. and um, you know a little bit farther down the list, you know we've got a lot of the big pharmaceutical companies, and um, you know and Walmart, of course, right. and some of the big auto companies like Toyota that have had some big safety scandals. So um, it's you know it's a pretty pretty wide ranging. Uh, list because the data we collect is you know, basically on any any company um, you know goes into the mix if there's a penalty of at least five thousand dollars against it and we um, you know we then link the individual entries to a universe of about three thousand large corporations and those are you know, we start with things like the Fortune 1000, the Forbes list of the largest privately held companies, um, you know, and then a bunch of other lists. We also do nonprofits, especially nonprofit hospitals, because they tend to rack up a lot of penalties. Um, so it's it's basically a, a pretty wide-ranging list of, of large uh, businesses that um, we aggregate for. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but with the the nonprofit hospitals, um, what kind of penalties? I'm guessing with um, false claims acts, or yeah, above all, false claims act. Okay. Um, I mean, there there is other, you know, there are other um, kinds of penalties, and and you know, anyone can 
if you go to the Violation Tracker website, which you could find at violationtracker.org, there's a link there to um, agency data sources, and it shows you all of the um, original sources that we use to, to gather uh, the data. So it's, um, you know, it shows you, you know, for example, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, there are several categories of, of violations. Um, they're involving healthcare providers. Um, the, the False Claims Act cases come, you know, from the Justice Department, uh, Civil Division. So, um, you know, we've got, you know, a pretty wide variety. And, you know, we, uh, you know, you can search the data, uh, you know, either if you're, if you're interested in a, in a particular large company, you can go directly to a summary page for, um, for any one of these 3,000 uh, corporations and see kind of the big picture and the totals. And then there are links to all the individual entries that are associated with that. But if you're interested in a smaller company, you could search that too, just by searching the the company name um, on the um, on the main page of of the site. Yeah. I, you know, and we also make it possible, you know, to search by the type of offense, by the penalty amount, by the agency, um, by the different characteristics of the parent company, if you're only interested, for example, in privately held uh, parents, or if you're interested in parents that are headquartered in a particular state. We also let you do the search, um, narrowing it down by presidential administration, <laughs> uh, so that if you want to compare Obama and Trump, um, you can do that. In fact, you know, I just cooperated with um, Public Citizen on a report that did just that, that compared the, um, the enforcement track record of, you know, during Trump's first 12 months to, um, to the um, final years of, of the Obama administration. Of course, you know, there's been a big plunge in, in the penalty totals right. uh, during this time. Yeah, I've actually, yeah, I've read that report and I, I was pleasantly surprised because generally media really doesn't care about white collar crime, but that report kind of, it definitely, it was picked up by several different media organizations. Um, yeah, the biggest break was that the Associated Press uh, ran a story about it that got reprinted in hundreds of other publications, and then there were some others that did their own original stories. Yeah, there's this general malaise when it comes to white collar crime, even though it's the much more destructive crime. Um, and one of the things I wanted to bring up is that you, you're doing work that the U.S. government has been reluctant to do. Um, most people aren't aware, but uh, Representative John Conyers, I think back 2010, I think it was, he wrote a bill to try to start a, a corporate crime database. There's never been any interest. He keeps resubmitting this bill year after year. Again, there's just no interest in Congress to even track this information, let alone to actually crack down on white-collar crime. All he's asking for is a database, essentially, um, to do what you do. And again, you guys don't have the same power, quite as much power. You, know, you don't have subpoena power 
I should say. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Um, um, yeah, well, actually, it goes back, you know, farther. I mean, Ralph Nader has been talking about this for, you know, probably a, f- a few decades now. <laughs> and, um, you know, he recently put together an open letter to uh, the Attorney General about this, you know, renewing the call for a public database. And of course, nothing has happened <laughs> as a result. He's the he's the rule of law guy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the point that Nader and Conyers have you know made is that you know the the FBI has been putting out reports on you know street crime, you know, for like seventy five years. <laughs> um, so you know, there's you know, every year there's this report with. often getting screaming headlines about about the extent of street crime even though street crime has actually been going down in recent years but you know for a long time they you know they use these statistics you know to justify you know kind of repressive policies um but you know there's never been a comparable you know official data source on you know on corporate and, and white collar crime and the um so you know, violation tracker is you know kind of designed to fill that void, and you know if the federal government ever you know decides to do it, <laughs> you know I can retire and let them take it over. Hand over the reins. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and, and yeah. What, you're, what you're talking about is is a really important point because the financial damage from white collar crime is so much larger from the financial damage from street crime. I mean, it, it just, street crime just pales in comparison. Um, and I, I really wish that, you know, all listeners would check out your website. Um, it's obviously a great resource for, you know, activists or journalists, but just, you know, the average person who's, who's interested um, in this topic, I really think that they would be blown away like you say, the rap sheets of certain companies and just, you know, how certain industries are just prone to all, all types of criminality. Um, and, it's, and it's not just financial harm. I mean, it can be a matter of life and death. You're right. I mean, when you, right. when you look at what, you know, in the environmental area or the occupational safety area, or some of the stuff that the pharmaceutical companies do, Absolutely. you know, this can cause real physical harm or even death. death. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right, that, and that is an oversight on my part there. One thing, I want, and I wanted to ask you about, and because you know, I'm pretty familiar with corporate crime. Um, what, and this falls within the, the category of corporate crime, but I, I got to admit that I really didn't know a whole lot about wage theft. And I read your report, and I got. I mean, that really opened my eyes. If you could, do you mind kind of just telling us all a little bit about that report and, and some of the information? Sure. So the, this report was based on the, um, the first step in, in moving violation tracker beyond the regulatory agencies and, um, and the Justice Department into the realm of private litigation. And, you know, so the, the category we chose um, to begin with was you know, cases where companies are basically cheating their employees out of their proper pay. Now, it's bad enough that you know, wages have been stagnating, but on top of that, employers you know, all too often 
don't pay even what they're supposed to pay based on those you know, low wage rates. And what they engage in is a, uh, a variety of practices, including getting forcing people to work off the clock. You know, that is, you come in and before you, you know, kind of, I don't know how, how often people literally punch clocks anymore, <laughs> but before you actually sign in, you know, there are certain tasks that you're supposed to perform. Or, you know, you sign out and then there are other tasks that you're expected to do. So basically, it's extra work that you're not being paid for. Uh, another big um, issue has to do with um, misclassification. And that is certain workers are improperly designated as being exempt from overtime pay. So that, you know, they work you know, more than 40 hours a week and they don't get the proper time and a half uh, compensation that they're supposed to under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And there, you know, there are you know, several other, you know, related uh, issues uh, at the state level. California has additional rules having to do with break times. You know, workers are supposed to be provided a certain amount of, um, you know, time in rest breaks or meal breaks and employers are always violating those rules. So what's, you know, theoretically, these abuses are prosecuted or you know, enforced by the wage and hour division of the Labor Department, and they do that, but there's so much of it that, um, you know, they can't keep up. So instead, what has happened is that Groups of workers have gotten together and and launched um, lawsuits. You know, it's a form of of a class action lawsuit. It's actually called a collective action lawsuit, in which they basically go to court to force their employer to uh, compensate them for the pay that they've been cheated out of. And now, I had heard a little bit about these cases in the past, and I knew that Walmart has, had had a bunch of these cases brought against it, but I didn't. I had no idea how much of this had been going on yeah. until I started researching it, because these cases don't get a lot of media attention. So I, you know, I spent much of the past year going through court records, uh, finding all these uh, cases, and they're mostly settlements. And I was astonished to to see that um, almost like every large corporation has had one of these cases, and some of them have had multiple cases, including a lot of the big banks. Um, the um, so you know I used the kind of the same approach of you know going back to the original source, gathering the information, creating an entry for violation tracker, and then later linking the um, company named in the individual case to the ultimate parent, and we did did this, um, you know, focused on the wage theft cases, and you know we were able to document you know more than eight billion dollars in settlements and some verdicts uh, going back to the beginning of 2000. Now, of course, Walmart was at the top of the list, you know, okay. with more. Uh, payouts than anyone else, but the list, the, the top 10 also included a bunch of banks, including you know, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, our old friend Wells Fargo, 
um, you know, and some of these, you know, involved, um, you know, tellers and um, kind of back office employees. These are, you know, lower paid people. But some of the investment, you know, houses, you know, were also cheating, you know, people who had titles like financial analysts. So it's, the conclusion we reached is that wage theft really had become part of the business model for a lot of large companies. And they just decided it was worth doing this until they got caught. And when they got caught, they would reach a settlement, and then in many cases they would go on doing it. Let me, so, let me ask you that. Um, and it's tough to tell. I know that you're, you're having to do it from the outside in. Again, you don't have the power of subpoena. Do the, In other words, is the penalty basically just the cost of doing business? Is there an actual deterrent effect from the level of the penalty, in your opinion? Well, the the problem the problem is that you know the law in this area is complicated and the burden you know burden of proof can be difficult. Um, you know, once you get into you know these kinds of you know details of these cases, and so you know, and what happens in a settlement is that the um, the lawyers will often you know take less than what. Uh, than the theoretical amount that the workers were cheated out of, right. you know, just to avoid the trouble of going to court and having a long drawn out process, you know, like any, any kind state. of lawsuit, right. you know, they, you know, will settle. And, you know, of course these are plaintiffs lawyers. They're uh, doing this not necessarily for you know, only noble motives. Right. Not <laughs> they <want> to, right. <laughs> yeah. So they want to make, you know, kind of a quick, quicker buck on this. So you can't necessarily say that the amount of the settlements is, you know, is uh, equal to the amount of the, you know, the money that's stolen from workers. Now, there have been some separate attempts. You know, the Economic uh, Policy Institute has put out some reports where they attempt to estimate the actual amount of, of um, the workers are, you know, cheated out of. So we didn't we didn't try to reproduce that. We just wanted to to show the frequency of these uh, these lawsuits and and name names. Well, you're kind of diving into the weeds with that report, basically. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and to show that it's not only you know the likely suspects. It's not only you know Walmart and the um, you know the fast food operators and you know other retailers, but it's you know it's banks, it's high tech. Uh, companies and you know all kinds of other things. It's pharmaceutical companies. You know there are cases in which pharmaceutical sales representatives, you know, have brought suit. Um, yeah, that, that was so they cheat. They they cheat a lot of people. Is the point? <laughs> right. No. Because exactly when I hear wage up, you said exactly. I picture retail manager, um, and I think that's what most people think of. Exactly the lower paid workers. Uh, but like you're saying, it's people making middle class and upper middle class wages as well who are getting screwed. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so all that data was was um, put into a report, you know, called a Grand Theft Paycheck, uh, which is linked on the um, on the violation tracker page, among other places. And all that data is also in Violation Tracker now, so you can. 
you know, you can do searches, um, you know, specifically for that, uh, for those kinds of cases. Both the um, the lawsuits and the wage and hour cases from the Justice Department. We've also started collecting data from state uh, agencies that do some of their own uh, enforcement uh, in this area. And so there's some of that in Violation Tracker now as well. And that's one of the, you know, so the directions that we're um, going to move in with Violation Tracker are first other, other kinds of private litigation. And the thing I'm working on now is employment discrimination and harassment cases. And the, you know, the plan is to do a similar report, uh, you know, naming names, which companies have been involved in, um, in these cases the most. Um, and then, you know, adding the data to, uh, to violation tracker. That would be very important work. There's so much, cause you, you, again, you, you, you hear about this a lot of times though, these companies, PR agencies, they've kind of manipulated the story. Um, exactly. We need something that gets, you know, directly, um, to the source. One, one question though, um, when you were coming, when you were doing the research for this, are most of these, um, cases are they private lawsuits, or is it, or is it, or is it government enforcement? Well, there are two categories. So one category are cases in the wage theft area that are brought by the labor department's wage and hour division. Right. And those are those are basically enforcement actions. The the labor department, you know, shows up at a workplace. They examine the books. They talk to workers. They determine that there's been a um, you know, there have been um, infractions, and they impose a penalty on the company that's based on the estimated amount of back pay, you know, plus, you know, some additional penalty. So those are, those are the kind of, you could call those the public cases, the government cases. Right. Then there are also some state government cases. And it, it's very uneven among the states. You know, California and New York, for example, are very aggressive in this area. And um, a lot of states do next to nothing. Hmm. So we, you know, and some states are willing to share that in, the information on their cases, like California. Others, like New York, <laughs> gave me the runaround and I still haven't gotten the, the data yet on their cases because they don't they don't put it up online the only state i've found that put up um, data online about their state enforcement on wage theft is massachusetts um, that um you know has a has a web page so we've had to file lots of um open records requests uh and some in many cases we were turned down <laughs> including new york um in part because they're claiming that you know, if we, if we were asking for information on a specific case, that's okay. But if we want a list of all the cases in spreadsheet report. form, right. they say, no, we don't have to do that because you're... <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's, that's, another, that's another story. But anyway, so those are the public categories. What then the report, the Grand Theft Paycheck Report, was mainly about the private cases and um, and these are cases, you know, where a group of workers get together and they work with a plaintiff's lawyer 
and they file one of these collective action lawsuits, you know, in federal court, sometimes in state court, particularly in California. And they, um, you know, they go through the usual procedures in a lawsuit and they, if they've got a good case, they probably end up settling with the the company. And, and a lot of these settlements are for, you know, a million dollars or multi-million dollars. So, um, so that those are the cases that you know generally don't get a lot of press attention, and that was a, our main objective was to document all those cases and add them to the database. Now the the future of that litigation is really in question because of a recent Supreme Court ruling. So as one of the last kind of parting blows of this Supreme Court season. The you know the court uh, handed down this ruling in a case called Epic Systems, and basically what the court said was that companies or employers can compel their workers to sign mandatory arbitration agreements as a condition of being hired, and what that agreement would say is that if you've got a problem with you know, for example, our wage and hour practices, you've got to take it up through arbitration and you can't go to court. And what that will do is basically prevent these collective action lawsuits from happening because workers are barred from, from going to court and they got to go to arbitration. And, and they, can't, they can't do anything collective. Right. So it's individual arbitration, which is, you know, it's really almost impossible in a lot of cases for, for workers to, you know, assemble the evidence that they need and, you know, make their case. Um, they, you know, they probably can't afford, you know, a lawyer to pursue that. So chances are they're just going to give up and say, the hell with it. Um, or they may pursue it in a half-hearted way and they'll get a token settlement. And, you know, in any event, the company's, you know, going to avoid paying out anything significant. So that's, you know, what the Supreme Court is, has given us. Um, at the same time, <laughs> more bad news is that the Trump administration is apparently trying to weaken the, the wage and hour division of the Labor Department. And they've come up with a proposal for kind of what they call self-auditing basically telling companies that they're on the honor system <laughs> and if they somehow realize that accidentally they've been cheating workers out of their proper pay they can report it to the labor department and um you know and probably pay a minimum penalty or nothing at all but what this is really doing is telling them you know look go ahead and do whatever you want we're not going to enforce the fair labor standards act so Really, the only hope for the foreseeable future is at the the state level, you know, states like California that are aggressively pursuing this, or in some places, actually, the local level, some local um, district attorneys around the country are, are saying, hey, we can pursue this actually as a criminal case, that, you know, wage theft is not just a metaphor it can right. you know it's actually literally true there is a theft you know going on here and in some cases they are 
you know, bringing criminal cases against, you know, egregious employers. That's so this could be an interesting development. Is, is, that, is that kind of a first? Has this crime always just sort of been punished in civil courts or, or have there been? I mean, again, we're not talking yeah, about... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a recent development that, that some district attorney's offices are, are, are doing it. And there have been some cases brought. There have been some cases brought in New York, for example, and, and we've got a few of them in violation tracker now. And, and by the way, you can distinguish between civil and criminal cases when you do your search in Violation Tracker. Yeah, and that's one thing I would tell uh, to listeners. It it, um, it is a very user-friendly database. Um, you don't have to be a, a really technical person. If I can figure it out, anybody else can figure <laughs> it out, I promise you. <laughs> All right, well, great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and, you know, and you can download your search results into, you know, spreadsheets and among among other features. Um, let me ask you this. Are, are there any real recommendations as far as, you know, how to prevent this or um, wage theft that is? Well, I, I tend to think that uh, unionization is probably the best mm-hmm. way to do it. I mean, I found that there were not a lot of these cases at unionized uh, employers. Okay. You know, because you know unions are able to police this kind of thing uh, on their own, and they don't you don't even need the government to to step in. So that you know that's probably the best the best solution you know, for you know workers to basically band together and 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 form unions or work with labor centers or you know or other organizations um, to try to combat this these abuses. Okay. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there's also a lot of obstacles to that as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's another thing that the Supreme Court has been busy doing. Right, right. And we'll be doing more of. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell the audience about any projects coming up or anything like that? Well, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah, I mentioned the employment discrimination um, work, and that's what's going to occupy me for the probably most of the rest of this year. Um, you know, we're looking into other things like getting into other areas of state enforcement activity. You know, there are certain areas like insurance that is regulated mostly at the state, not the federal level. And you know, we want to collect information on, on, on those cases. And at some point down the line, we may want to look at selected uh, foreign data because corporate crime is not limited to the United States. Well, most definitely. Most <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the rap sheets um, currently for those companies do have information on foreign corporate abuses, but um, so far violation tracker is just uh, domestic. But um, at some point we'd like to you know, gather information, you know, probably starting with you know, Canada, UK, you know, European Union, and then take it from there and see what's uh, what's feasible. I mean, it gets more complicated when you're talking about, you know, abuses, you know, in other parts of the world that, um, you know, there might not be much enforcement going on. Not much transparency you know, we've even, either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, you know, considered, you know, maybe using data from some of the, the nonprofit groups that are doing, for example, factory monitoring in, um, in, in poorer countries, but that's um, 
that's at least a couple of years in the future. We've got plenty of other things to do. Oh, yeah. And then, and then periodically we just update the the database from all the existing agencies that uh, we cover. And that that by itself is, you know, is a chore. But you know, we want to keep it updated. We can't, you know, we can't update it too frequently because the the processing of the data, including the parent subsidiary matching, is uh, is somewhat time consuming. So we're trying to keep to a schedule of updating it, you know, basically, you know, every three months or so. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Well, hey, um, I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, we, we we talked before. I know that you're not as active with social media. Um, you have a Twitter account. Uh, what what's your handle for Twitter there? It's uh, Dirt Diggers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to link to that as well. Um, I definitely recommend that people check out your blog, the Dirt uh, Dirt Diggers Digest. It is very interesting, very, very alarming. Um, but yeah, again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, and to all the listeners, um, give it a five-star rating and, and share it as well. And really the best way to support the podcast is to go out there and buy a copy of my three-book series, Rackets. It's on the legalization of drugs and gambling and the decriminalization of prostitution. So on that note, again, I'd like to thank everybody and have a great day. It's a big club and you ain't in it. I am concerned that the size of some of these institutions becomes so large that it does become difficult for us to um, to prosecute. You don't have a license. Price is $250,000 plus a monthly payment of 5% of the gross of all four hotels in the store. Corleone.